Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read us over at Indy Cornrows. Uh, we'll have some uh, off-season stuff coming up now that the Pacers are uh, out, mercifully. Excited to be joined today by my good friend and colleague, Caitlin Cooper, for a, a one-off episode on uh, just, you know, like looking at some teams that are in the playoffs still now that the Pacers are officially done for the season that, that you can root for and have some fun with this. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I like the subtle use of the word merciful. <laughs> Well, it wasn't entirely are- merciful, but it's merciful that we don't have to watch them play the Sixers, I think is the way I looked at it. Yes, that that was that was very nice of the Wizards to spare us from. But um, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm excited to do this. And I also apologize in advance to the teams that I'm going to talk about, because apparently just me watching your team might curse you. <laughs> so I apologize if, if something terrible befalls your team in the next 24 hours. Yeah. Well, hey, just, uh, you know, Jim Boylan doesn't live where your team does. So that that does help. But we'll uh, we'll see from here on out. Um, So we are doing this in a bachelor bachelorette style. We're going to have three hometown dates and then give out a final rose to the team that we're most interested or excited for to watch in the playoffs. Um, This I haven't watched The Bachelor in a while. Caitlin said she's only seen it once, but Miles Turner loves The Bachelor. So. Uh, I think we're we're feeding into the right parts of Pacers Twitter uh, without, you know, even having to root for the team right now. Let's just go one by one and uh, explain our rationale and reasoning, and then we can have counter arguments too, because this is just like The Bachelor. We're going to sit there and, and argue about it the entire time because, you know, well, Becca, I mean, I don't know if I trust Becca. Is she here for the right reason? I don't know. I mean, does this Bachelor actually care? Is this relationship going to last? I don't know. Well, can Can you get to the conference finals? Uh, Caitlin, let's start off. Who was your first hometown date? Right. So I actually put out basically a personal ad on Twitter yesterday saying I am a Pacers blogger looking for (laughs) non-busy functional defense, good vibes, freedom from nightly referendums about centers, a healthy roster, a break from having to watch constant Raptors film and coaching adjustments but mainly just a playoff team to watch as a palate cleanser so that was me obviously in the wake of what we watched transpire against the wizards but after some time to reflect i ultimately decided that i can't quit the pacers i think we all on this podcast know that we're not going to ultimately quit the pacers despite the disappointing season that they went through so the three teams that are going to go on my hometown dates ultimately reflect things that I think I either want to watch how that team responds because it's something that the Pacers need to work on or it has some X's and O's thing that I think could benefit them more than I went with just like my heart of hearts and who I could ultimately trust my heart with not to break it and make what was a very hard season worse for me so my first team I'm sure is going to Uh, be a joy for everyone based on what happened last season, but the Miami heat, I picked the Miami heat because I don't know how the series is going to go with Milwaukee this year. I think that the bucks made some necessary adjustments to kind of even that out from what happened in the bubble, but the heat surprisingly, I looked up this number like the Pacers prior to the bubble last year, were not good in the fourth quarter and they have not been good in the fourth quarter this year. They are 28th at minus 5.3 per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter. But then when they got inside the bubble, as the Pacers know in the first round of the playoffs, they like turned into a beast in the fourth quarter and and made all these clutch plays. And I think that goes back to my list there. Eric Spolster is just really good at making adjustments and making rotation decisions. But more than that, what I found interesting this season when you watch Miami is, first of all, you can kind of watch the Pacers without watching the Pacers when you watch the Heat because they literally run some of the exact same plays. Um, Some of the plays that they run with Bam and Duncan Robinson are identical to what the Pacers do with um, Sabonis and Justin Holiday in particular. 
they'll do like uh, a gut DHO where Justin comes back up from the elbow after they do back screens and Iverson cuts and and that's when they lean on but and because teams have kind of realized what Duncan Robinson is as a shooter coming off the handoffs and even though he struggled like he's he's drawn a lot more attention and they've tried to switch those actions so one thing that Eric Spolster did later in the season is they post Bam and Jimmy quite a bit um and not because those two are necessarily super dynamic post threats in and of themselves, but because moving the angle of where Bam and Jimmy are going to pass out to those shooters has helped get them open in a way that they can't switch off of handoffs as much. So they run so many split cut variations. Like, and that's something that the Pacers kind of struggled with on and off throughout the season. Like everybody will remember midway through when Sabonis had those bad games against Um, Utah and then Steven Adams in New Orleans and the Pacers at that point like barely had any of those plays incorporated at all then they had the break where they missed a couple games because I think teams were out for COVID protocols and the Pacers worked on offense they came back and what was surprising about it is is the Raptors had like two or three split cut plays one that I wrote about before the season even started where when two bigs were on the floor they'd set like a top pin which I think they only did that with Miles like once or twice all year but I was kind of like, why aren't they incorporating this when Domas doesn't have a physical advantage? And they came back and they did, but they still only had like probably two go-to plays. And then they were more dependent upon guys making reads, which they did do that pretty well against the Heat themselves, coincidentally. But um, not near the number of variations that Eric Spolster has to mitigate some of that. And it isn't even so much about, oh, you know, we want to establish BAM in the post. It's about making BAM a vehicle for assists for their multitude of shooters who have now started to shoot the ball a lot better since the start of April. So for those reasons, in addition to, I'm just very interested to see the back and forth between the Bucks and the Heat and various, um, like I mentioned earlier with with what the Bucks have done in terms of using the dunker spot more, in terms of trying to switch a little bit more, um, what they can do to counter Miami. So the Heat are one of my top three teams on the hometown dates. So I do have a vibes counter. Um, well, I do agree with everything you said. Tyler Hero's newest haircut really drives me away from selecting this team for a hometown date. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, it is a very tough scene. And I, I just don't know if I can get get my heart behind the Miami Heat. It is rather bowl cut like. I'm not exactly sure what is going on. So I mean, I hear that. I hear that Tyler Hero has some interesting style to him at times. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm just going to focus mainly on Eric Spolstra and let him guide me to uh, this hometown date. I think that's fair. Watching good coaching is a is a good thing. Um, and Jimmy Butler has been awesome this year, arguably even better than last year. Bam has taken another step. Uh, oh, and oh just... thank you for bringing that up because I didn't even mention the other half of this, that the Heat do all of this while also putting forth a highly competent defense that changes all the time. Like they've mixed in more of their blitz scheme this year, as people will know from the Pacer games. They still do a lot of their switching that they did in the bubble last year, and they run two, three, that actually looks like everybody knows what their assignments are. And they go back and forth between all those. Now, is that more, uh, that's also very possible because you have Jimmy Butler and Bam on your roster, as well as Trevor Reza and some other people who are adding contributions on the defensive end. But it's it's very nice to watch a team that uh, is connected on defense in addition to the things they're doing offensively. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Their zone is so active. Like that's what's so enjoyable about it. It's not just a static zone. They actually are moving around and shifting to keep the zone in place. Uh, seems like something that that is important. I don't know. They actually um, bump down. They yeah, bump it's, down. it's kind of amazing. Uh, well, all right. Well, my first hometown team, I mean, hometown date team is, uh, gosh, this is so hard to pick, but I'm going, this is, I will draw higher for this one, but it's the Los Angeles Clippers for me. Um, I respect it. I respect it. This team is so fun. I've loved watching this team this year. Uh, my friend Scott just wrote a really great article about how, you know, they, they're a team that everyone was clamoring about how they needed to have higher level playmaking. Uh, and that's something that has been an issue for them this year, but they, they crafted an elite offense. And a lot of it is because they figured out how to just make simplified playmaking reads for everyone. And it's a lot more of a free flowing offense, a lot less isolation heavy, I just love watching them play. I mean, Paul George is having one of the best playmaking passing seasons of his career. 
he's just had a really good year up and down. I thought he was all defense level. Um, and I just love watching Paul play. Like I know the, the, the more I say Paul George, the less people listen to any further in this podcast, but like, I don't, I just have no qualms with Paul. Like he can, he can say stupid stuff, but like, I love watching his game. I just like, he's one of the five most fun players to watch in the league for me. Like for somebody to have his handle at his size and just the way he moves so fluidly, he's so fun to watch. Um, there's just so much to like about this team outside Marcus Morris, like Nicholas Batum uh, actually like just reinventing himself this year. And it, it helps that he's on a team that is, you know, good. Um, I'm sure that factored into it, but he's been fun to watch. He's just a really cool connective player. Uh, of course, Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard. And I love watching him play sneakily almost 50, 40, 90 this year. Uh, Avisha Zubach, like is if you don't watch the Clippers, like, I think there's this idea that Zubach is just like strictly as a drop big who doesn't do a lot and kind of innings eats, but that's not really who he is. He comes up to the level of the screen sometimes on defense, uh, is kind of versatile, is a really good short roll playmaker. Um, I just, I, he's taken even more of a step this year, and I love watching him play a better rim protector than he gets credit for. Reggie Jackson has just like quietly been good this year after really struggling. Um, I just I enjoy the vibes of this Clippers team a lot more than I enjoyed the vibes last year. This they actually seem like they like each other this year, which was reportedly a problem last year. Uh, so I don't know. I think I would take the Clippers because I, I just I, I'm excited to see them play better this year, and they have played better this year, and I uh, I, I think it's going to be better for them in the playoffs as well. And they just play a really fun brand of basketball. If I was being true to myself. I would have put the Clippers on this list. Like if it was just about a team that I enjoy turning on and watching, I would have put the Clippers because of what you mentioned. Like last year, I would, I would describe their offense as very staccato. Like a, it's kind of like, like a, what a Boston's cold, offense is this yes, year. Yes. A cold dead dribbling machine, hunting shots. And as you mentioned, there's more <laughs> connectivity. And I'm also one of the last remaining Rondo stands. So I appreciate that, that what he does, I think he makes smart reads obviously is an incredibly smart player and I think that helps them having kind of a, a playmaking point guard to to set people up at the end of games but yeah I mean I, I there's always going to be a tiny piece of my heart that enjoys watching Paul George and I don't wish bad things on him despite I know a lot of people didn't like how the exit turned out but you know what the Pacers ended up with Victor and now Karras and Sabonis out of the situation so it could have been worse but Kawhi, yeah, just surgical buckets. Like, just, just the way he goes about his business on the floor is always super enjoyable to watch. But I think Ty Lue deserves a, a heaping amount of credit as well because I think he, as we mentioned, like even when you said with Zubots, another thing I would give credit for there is that he's developed his ability to pass four on three. Like, I'm not going to say he's one of the most elite passing bigs in the NBA by any stretch, but he does make better reads out of the middle of the floor with his head on a swivel. And, and they do some of that with Batum as well, not as a big, but you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. if I was being true to myself, I would have picked the Clippers, but I'm attempting to tell, a Pacers narrative with my three picks. So I'm just being self self indulgent today to my basketball needs. So it's uh, uh you know, better better for you, worse for me. But I, I'll, I'll take it. Who is your next hometown date? My next one is I succumb to peer pressure. Uh oh. <laughs> is this pick, the Knicks? No, no. Oh. I I wanted to pick the Knicks. I honestly did because, um, Tom Thibodeau's defense is just very it is beautiful. To me. It's a very hard hat. Uh, they go about what they're going to do. Lots of there are some similarities between Julius Randle and Sabonis, though they they have their differences. Julius Randle does a lot more in face up and just like trucking dudes, and his court mapping has really really improved. Obviously, his shooting, like watching guys come out and hard double Julius Randle, like every time I see that, it just blows my freaking mind. But um, <laughs> I agree. no, no, um, no. I picked the Phoenix Suns. All right, explain. I, I want to hear your rationale. So, uh, first of all, are the Phoenix Suns one of your top three teams? They may or may not be my final Rose team. Okay. Well, I picked the Phoenix Suns because, for one, they have a very mellifluous lyricalness to their offense. They have great flow getting from one thing to the next. But mainly I picked them because they do have 
a lot of similarities with their offense between the Pacers and, and the Suns in subtle ways. They really like to look at 45 cuts. They really like to use face cuts. Um, the way they get to some of their Spain actions is similar to the Pacers, but they do a great job of connecting one action to the next. And while I totally understand listeners, I'm not saying that Karis Levert and Malcolm Brogdon are Chris Paul and Devin <laughs> Booker. I'm not, They're better. Yeah. yeah, I'm not making that argument. But Monty Williams does a really good job of involving both of them in the same place. So for like example, they'll use like Aiton at the elbow and there'll be Horn Stagger with a handoff, but Devin Booker will be at the other elbow with Chris Paul with the ball and, and they'll enter the ball to Aiton and then Booker will flip around and set a screen so that Chris Paul then has the option to either enter the ball to Aiton at the elbow and then fly off a back cut or to give the ball to Booker and come off of that screen. And sometimes they just set flat out staggers where one of their guards is the screener and they, they'll do a, a flip into a back screen to get both of them going. They also run Chicago, which is a pin, uh, pin down into a handoff in the corner, which the Pacers run this all the time. Everybody knows this, but typically when the Pacers run it, it will be with Sabonis to free up Justin holiday or for Doug McDermott. But when the Suns do it, a lot of times it's, pinning in for Chris Paul and not to get the shot, but to attack off of that shot. And then maybe Devin Booker was the initial pin down screener and he's open. They connect a lot of this to exit screen. So even the play that I said earlier, like if Chris Paul enters it to Devin Booker and then comes off a little brush screen, then he'll just circle right out and go to an exit screen to the corner. There, there's just a lot to like from aesthetically of their offense, but I also think some of it could be informative for how you could get um, Karras and Brogdon not just playing off of each other. Like to me, if I'm talking about a duo, it's two people that you can actively involve in plays and gain an advantage from. And I think that the Phoenix Suns do that as well as anybody with their top two players. And um, and Karras and Brogdon's defense, they just did not have very many games to actually play mm-hmm. at the same time with each other. But I think that there's ways to involve both of them as ball handlers and be doing it at the same time. So I think that there's value in watching the Phoenix Suns from a Pacer perspective for that way. Yeah, definitely. And uh, more on the Vibes perspective, uh, they have, I think, the best alternate jersey in the NBA this year with the Valley Boys jersey. Uh, I love that one. Uh, They play the hits for me, and I appreciate that. Uh, I've always liked watching Chris Paul play. It's still wild to me thinking about how when I was a kid, Darren Williams and Chris Paul was an argument and Darren Williams hasn't played for five years now. And Chris Paul is still an all NBA player. Like that's just the longevity to his career is insane to me. Like his numbers aren't anything crazy. Like they're good. Of course, another sneakily, almost 50, 40, 90 guy in year, what, like 15 for him. Um, And it's just like very calculated. Like he's so good at doing the little things and taking over when he needs to, it just like, the quintessential point guard. Uh, I, I I just, I love, loved watching this team play all year. Um, random question for you. How do you feel about DeAndre Ayton heading into the playoffs? Because he's, uh, and I know this, this isn't like a playoff preview or anything like that, but uh, I personally picked the Suns to beat the Lakers in seven games. And I, uh, I'm sure I'm getting roasted on Twitter for that right now as we speak, but I think like, I don't know, a lot's riding on what he's going to be able to do in the playoffs, but I think that he's been in a, he's been in a really good spot and has been playing better recently. And uh, just when he's aggressive and he's engaged on both ends, I, I really believe in the Suns team because they have so much versatility. Uh, you know, like you can rotate Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Torrey Craig, Mikhail Bridges. They just have a lot of wings who know what they're doing, can hit shots, can move the ball well. Uh they're just like, they're a really well-organized team. I think it will be the easiest way to put it for me. Like Monty Williams has done such a good job uh, of making this team a team, which sounds like, you know, reductive or, or whatever, but um, they, they just, they play a really good brand of basketball. Yeah. I mean, I think the center rotation could flip it. Not because I think that, that Aiton's going to outplay AD, but that's, that's kind of the sticking point. Cause there were times earlier in the season where, they were playing Dario Saric in the fourth quarter instead of Aiton. I mean, that happened against the Pacers. The Pacers kind of played him off the floor with what he was doing defensively in the drop scheme and how they were using Doug McDermott and Malcolm Brogdon. But 
I think that some of that shored up a little bit over the back end of the season and he started to show a little bit more. They showed a little bit more trust in him in the fourth quarters, but I think it will, I think it will be a test for him when, Mm -hmm. if Frank Vogel plays Anthony Davis at the five and, and I don't know that the Suns have a great way to play small. If that's a thing that happens, like you like Sarge, you like Jay Crowder, but I think that Jay Crowder is probably going to have to log a significant amount of time defending LeBron because I think you just want more of Mikel Bridges in the gaps. Not that Mikel Bridges isn't a good individual defender, but I, I would assume that Jay Crowder will will take a large amount of that load. I mean, from the Lakers' perspective, obviously you need to get more out of Dennis Schroeder, not only in the minutes when LeBron's off the floor, but also in the minutes when LeBron's on the floor so that you can reduce some of his load. I mean, a lot of it just depends for the Lakers. Is like Anthony Davis has been really up and down. How does he come out and play? Is he shooting like he did in the bubble? Um, and, and what just overall state LeBron is in? Because he didn't look right when he played the Pacers, and I don't think he looked completely right until the end of that game against the Warriors. But I would still lean – I would still pick the Lakers, but I don't think that your pick of Phoenix and seven is outlandish by any stretch. I think it's going to be a good series. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. I uh, yeah, This team just has – it's it's a fun team. It's The vibes are great. I just didn't expect them to be this good, and I know they're one of the teams, uh, I think, just if you track it, they're le- almost least impacted by health and safety protocols this year. But at the same time, like, that's how you – No, that crown goes to the like, Pacers up until <laughs> – up until Karis Lever, unfortunately, yeah, oh, that was got sad. put into protocols, but... which was yeah, very sad. Okay. All right, so who is your next? Oh, oh wait, yeah, no, it's me. It's my next hometown team. Oh yes, yes, uh, I forgot. I was we were so both into Phoenix. Yeah, well, it was, I, it's it hard, hard to, not to know. We're um, both dating the same team. <laughs> uh, man, well, this splitting up the podcast very quickly. Damn. Uh, my next hometown team. This one. <laughs> You know, I really came down to quite a few. I really want to pick the Knicks, but I I can't because I I personally don't have them making it out of the first round. I want a team that I think is going to make it past the first round because I need at least more than, you know, two weeks of enjoyment out of this. And for me, it's the Denver Nuggets, uh, partially because I love the NVR and the guys over there. And uh, I I just I, I love like so many of the Denver people are I'm, I'm friends with and I enjoy watching that team so much. Uh, one of my favorite prize possessions is a Nikola Jokic shirt doing the Sambor shuffle. Um, and that's why I, I want to watch Denver. And that's because of Nikola Jokic. His season has been unreal. Uh, his shot making like to, to, to go from a kind of uh, like just kind of unwilling shot taker last year or more of a hesitant shot taker to this year realizing, okay, I need to be the best shot maker on this team for us to, to reach the highest level. And he just made that jump like, like that, like you just, you, we don't see that like ever. That's just you, you to rewire yourself on the fly. Like that is, is kind of wild. And then have an even better season. Um, and his, the, the, like, I mean, just watching Nicole play is so fun. Like he brings new meaning to the word athleticism. Like I think people look at at Jokic and like, oh, well, he's not athletic. He doesn't look athletic, but like he does like just these little things. Like his reaction time is ridiculous. The uh, the court mapping and awareness are otherworldly. His ability to create space for himself without really having a lot to work with in terms of burst or anything like that. Like he's just so good at you know bumping his guy the proper amount of distance he needs to get two inches of space so he can get off his his rainbow jump shot, like everything about Nicola's game is so aesthetic to me and watching him throw some of these passes, they're getting uh, some guys back. Like Will Barton's going to be back for the playoffs. I don't know how good they're going to be in the playoffs. I mean, Portland's been playing really well recently, but um, I just love watching Nicole Jokic play. He's probably my favorite player in the league right now, other than maybe PG. Like I, there's, there's very little to dislike about Washington. Instead of like they've, it's been, it sucked because Jamal has been out. Um, and you really didn't want that to happen for, I mean, you never want anybody to get injured, but considering the run that they were going on and how well Jamal was playing this year too, and finding that consistency, finally, that, that really stunk. But, um, I mean, Michael Porter jr. Has been awesome and their defense has taken a, a notch, uh, a notch up since the Aaron Gordon trade. And I don't know, I just, uh, I really enjoy watching this team and they've had a fun year and I really hope that they're able to continue in the playoffs because they, uh, they're a joy to watch. 
Okay, so this is not your final rose. Denver this, isn't. This is not my final rose. So I'm just I'm very surprised at where you've gone here. I'm just very surprised. <laughs> I thought for sure that we were gonna get a Utah sighting from you. I do love Utah. It, I'll explain. I'll explain after. Okay, so just as a spoiler, I guess then Denver is my final rose. Ah. Denver is my final rose. And and to, to be fully transparent here, there were a lot of nights where the Nuggets and the Pacers played like overlapping each other. But if I'm on league pass and the Pacers aren't playing, the Denver Nuggets are the team that yes. I watch the most. So, and I think that there's a lot of comparisons here for the Pacers because in a lot of ways, um, the Pacers run some of the exact same plays that the Denver Nuggets run with Jokic at the elbow, a lot of the same horns and flex stuff. Um, I could diagram a lot of it, but I mean, it, it's very similar. And so that's one thing. But beyond that is that you can just tell that their culture is good. Like you mentioned DNVR the other day. I switched on and watched their interview that they did with Tim Conley, who's Denver's president of basketball operations, which was just really good. I mean, he was very open, which I mean, he stayed on there for like an hour, which was great, but they also asked really good questions. And just to see um, a lot of stuff that the Pacers say that they want to do in terms of like really having a player first culture, you can tell that that lives out in Denver as well, how much they care about their players and, and impacting people. I mean, he told a story on there where, he actually had, I think he was either at Gary Harris's house or Gary Harris was at his house the weekend before they ended up trading for Aaron Gordon. And they were open and honest with him and said like, Hey, there's a possibility something could happen, but I'm going to tell you first, which is obviously something that the Pacers try to do as well. But um, you can just see how well their team seems to actually like each other, which is nice to see, despite, you know, sometimes they get on Michael Porter Jr. defensively and you can see some of that played out on the court midseason, especially in the one game against Boston that I watched. But they're also a team that two things I think could have been informative for the Pacers. Like we've heard a lot in the last week, like about the Pacers and the injuries and what this season meant under a new coach and not having enough practice time. Like look how many injuries the Denver Nuggets had. And I'm not suggesting that the Pacers have the same level of talent. The, the Nuggets have the MVP on their team. Like assuredly Nikola Jokic is the, is the going to be named the league's MVP, but still like they didn't have Murray. Will Barton went down, which was their main other option to run pick and roll with Monty Morris has missed time. Um, PJ Dozier is out. Who's one of their main wing defenders. And they still finished when I don't even remember how many games they won down the stretch. Like that wasn't an excuse. Like when they, when their backs against the wall, they play somehow they managed to play even better like that. They get into a series last year twice. They're down three, one. And as the season goes on or as the series goes on, and maybe some of this is the benefit of having Nikola Jokic on your team and having somebody that's that smart is basically a supercomputer on the floor. Like they figure things out more instead of what it seemed like transpired with the Pacers at times where like, I'm not saying at all that they used injuries as an excuse. And I think that that did hold them back. I think that it certainly hurt in that game against the wizards that people were out but um, there's also ways to rise up above adversity and still play really well, even through things like that happening. So I think that's a good example. And then I don't know if I want to spoil all of my stuff. Um, I'll, I'll stop there, but I have more nice things to say about Denver when I actually reveal my final rose, but I completely agree with you. Like Nikola Jokic is just so casually dominant and there's something that he's going to do every game that I watch where I'm going to be like, wow, I've never yeah. seen that before. I mean, even just in the one game that before Jamal Murray got hurt, like Jamal Murray set a pin down screen for Nikola Jokic to pop off of and shoot off of. Like the only other person in the league that's maybe doing that is Carl Anthony Towns. I think I might've, I mean, the Lakers might've done that when Anthony Davis was shooting super hot, but I mean, that's just obscene. Like you're using your guard to set a pin down screen for your center to pop off and shoot. And, and because he can shoot the way he does, like, and teams don't even always react to, to centers, but he's one of the few, he and Towns and Vucevic to an extent that teams actually do send some gravity towards off of the pick and pop. But then, you know, you do that and it's just opening up his passing even more. So um, I think that's probably about as much as I need to gush about Jokic right now, but <laughs> I'll let you reveal who your final rose was. Yeah, my, uh, my final rose is the Phoenix Suns uh, because I think – out of the teams that I've selected, I mean, the Clippers, I probably have the most faith in to go in. I peg them right now to be the team that I think will win uh, all in all. Um, 
but I also just really like the team. Like I, I try and be like just a, a, a national analyst and, and try and be really fair and observant to, to everyone and, and try and have a really good pulse on things. Um, but I will be honest, watching this Phoenix team, they have been my number one rooting interest most of the year. They're who I really want to see win. Um, and I'll just be honest about that. I think that I can't, I can't lie about that. Like this is the team that I would like to see win because it's cool. It's a cool story. Like seeing this team go from, you know, I mean, Phoenix hasn't made the playoffs since I was in shit. What was 2010? I think I was in seventh grade the last time that they made the playoffs and Grant Hill was guarding, uh, gosh, I think was Grant Hill guarding Kobe. I think Grant Hill was guarding Kobe. It's been a, forever since I watched that series, but regardless, like, I just really like this team. I really want to see Chris Paul win because I'm so tired of the, well, he's never done anything narrative. Like that's, that's just false. I mean, uh, like uh, Caitlin, my, one of my greatest intros to basketball was watching the Spurs Clippers first round series that should have never happened because of the stupid divisional matchups, but we got it anyways. And Chris Paul hitting that running, uh, that running floater, unfortunately on a terrible hamstring which made it so that he couldn't really play the rest of the playoffs but I mean point being that was just like one of the coolest series I've ever watched and it was one of the things that made me fall in love with basketball and uh I really want good things for Chris Paul because he's a he's a damn good player and he's had some unfortunate uh injury luck in his his career and he's had some luckily things have have worked out for him in terms of staying healthy the last couple years and I really hope that's able to translate in the playoffs and and we just see a really good run from them because uh, it, it would be very cool. And I, I enjoy a lot of the people in, in Phoenix and they, they just have a, it, Monty Williams seems like a good dude. He's my coach of the year candidate. Um, I'm, I'm excited for that team. Well, I appreciate that you are willing to be candid and come out and just admit the teams that you love to watch. And two, yeah, I mean, Chris Paul's awesome. Like he, he puts people in the torture chamber, I mean, and the mid range for sure. That would be an interesting series. I mean, like I said, I'm very surprised that you did. I mean, you were you were proposing a Utah Jazz podcast to me, and you didn't even bring <laughs> up the Jazz. But I will um, explain that after. Uh, that would be a very interesting series between Phoenix and Utah. I would have liked to have seen how the Jazz would have defended that. I mean, and it wouldn't be so much that like, oh, Phoenix is you know is slicing apart their defense it's that that's what types of shots that utah gives up is in that you know soft spot mid-range area which just happens to be where chris paul is absolutely killer but um yeah there's there's a lot to like about phoenix and that's why they were also on my list but so back to my long-winded thing about denver (laughs) is um what what i was on my original personal ad that i put out on twitter was i didn't want to hear any more uh, nightly referendums about centers for a while. And obviously the, the Nuggets have evolved past that. They're long past their Nurkic-Jokic drama. And now the two of them are playing in a series against each other and are useful to both of their teams. Um, but the main reason why I picked the Nuggets series twofold is I want to give a shout out to Michael Malone as well here, mm-hmm. because I do not think that guy gets enough credit. Like he did not finish in the top three of coach of the year voting. And there was obviously Monty Williams is, is been, tremendous this year Tom Thibodeau nobody saw that the Knicks were going to be doing what they're doing so both very deserving Quinn Snyder that the Jazz obviously have the number one record they they run a lot of um, very fluffy offense with with lots and lots of different options in it but um, I don't think that Michael Malone gets enough credit not only for being a motivator and for being the person that you know put the ball in Nikola Jokic's hands and really empowered that clear back however many years ago now Um, but also that his X's and O's acumen is underrated. Like, I think sometimes it's easy. It's kind of like the LeBron thing with Eric Spolstra. Like when you have a weapon to that degree, it's easy to be like, well, Nikola Jokic makes these tremendous reads and, and everything that they do flows through him. And that's very true. Like, obviously your job is easier when you have somebody like that, but just as one example, I have to try to describe this play because I think it really shines a light on, on how good he is at, at also drawing up sets that put his guys in the right position. But the Nuggets did not play well in this game. I watched it. They were in Boston, and it was the game when Michael Porter Jr. was really just like kind of trotting around and, and transition on defense, and that was a little bit of a turning point for his season, I think, because the team really got on him, and then I think he kind of turned a corner and has matured throughout the season in a lot of different ways as a defender and, and the role that he's expected to take on now that he's going to be 
a top option with Jokic in the playoffs this year, but here is the play. So we've got Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal and Jokic all in the corner on one side of the floor and Porter and Jokic are the screeners. It's going to be a stagger. And Jamal Murray twirls it, which is a play tons of people in the NBA run. The pace, if you've watched the Pacers, you see them run this at least once a game, which twirl means that you're curling around the first screen. A lot of times there's a pop option, but in this case, Jamal Murray just twirls around the first one and exits out to the opposite corner, which then puts Porter in position to come get the ball and come off the second pick and Faku's running point, which is another thing that was great about the Denver Nuggets throughout the season that Jamal Murray's really great on ball and can do a lot as an off ball mover as well. But so he's exiting out of that stagger screen and Porter gets the ball. Zeke is in the opposite corner. So Jamal, when he exits, sets a fake ghost screen for Zeke to exit through. Meanwhile, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't even Michael Porter Jr. It was Dozier. I, I don't know why I said that, but it was Dozier instead of Michael Porter Jr. in this case, because I think Michael Porter Jr. had been benched at that point. But so it ends up being a flip back after Dozier gets the ball. He flips it back to, to Faku. So now Jamal and Jokic are coming up to the top of the key and Jamal is now setting a subsequent screen for PJ Dozier. That's a rip while Faku comes off of the screen from Jokic. So it's basically like their two best players are coming to the top of the key and horns. Faku goes off the Jokic side while, while Jamal sets the back screen for Najee and, or I mean for, for Zeke. And the problem is, is that this is actually involving Tatum and Jalen Brown at the top of the key, and they cannot communicate the switch on the rip because Jokic is at the opposite elbow and and Tatum doesn't want to switch off of Murray. So they end up getting a wide open dunk for Zeke under the rim while three people are focused on Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And yes, that is a product of the weapons that you have and how good the two of them are, but it's also tremendous acumen for Michael Malone to be using the gravity of those two people to be opening up shots for the other players on the floor. And that, that's just like a tremendous set. If anybody wants to see it, it's the fourth quarter of the game when Denver was in Boston, get a wide open dunk out of it. I think he deserves more respect. He gets um, some criticism sometimes for some of the rotations he plays. But aside from that, the main reason why I picked the Nuggets is this matchup with the Trailblazers, I think is going to be really interesting to see how they defend the high pick and roll with Dame and CJ. Um, Jokic plays up a lot more than what the Pacers would probably want to do with Sabonis. He's good at playing high. He's pretty decent with East-West movement. But, I mean, most of the previews that you talk about this series are just like, well, the edge goes to Portland because of they're going to put Jokic in so many pick and rolls. So from that standpoint alone, I'm interested to see how Michael Malone handles that because my guess is they'll play him high, try to force the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands, and then be relying on Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon with their cohesiveness and link to be making the ro- those rotations in the background. And how do they handle that type of a scheme? But what I'm trying to connect the dots here to is I doubt that Michael Malone's going to switch Jokic onto Damian Lillard and expect him to make a stop without switching back or protecting him. And that's something that the Nuggets do really well. They augment him offensively, which is what they did with the trade with Aaron Gordon while also protecting him defensively. They, they have the surrounding link that they need to be able to do things like that. And then, you know, having Aaron Gordon, he was going to be the perfect fit in this, you know, smaller role where not as much was going to be expected of him as it did in Orlando. And now he's kind of being pushed a little bit back into that role with Orlando with a number of injuries that they have. But I'm interested to watch that series just to see what the Nuggets do to protect him in those situations. Though I do think that some of the stuff that gets said about Jokic's defense is a little bit overstated in terms of, you know, how quote unquote bad it is. But yeah, I just I just expect that like, you know, if the Nuggets were playing the Wizards in a series that they probably want to switch Jokic onto Bradley Beal and expect him to get a stop and then, you know, have everybody talking about how Jokic got murdered defensively, but do you have any response to any of that? I do have a response. Uh I think what what is most enticing to me about this series in some regards is getting to watch Jokic and and Nurkic play play on on each other a bunch. Uh, because of how all of that went when they were there together yeah. in Denver. Um, like I, I'll never forget, like the first time I saw Jokic play, um, I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't have the same understanding of basketball then that I do now. And I was like, Oh, Nurk, it's just so good. You know, Jokic is going to be a great backup to him or something like that. And um, it's just funny seeing how things play out. And uh, 
I mean, I enjoy watching both guys a lot. Like Nurkic is another guy. Like if you just watch the box score, like um, you, you look at him as a player without really watching him on court, you have this idea of how he is. And when he's really healthy, he's just, he's so fun. Uh, he's really mobile. He's a good passer. Not obviously not close to Jokic as a passer, but can do some fun things. Um, and he's really key to what Portland does. But yeah, th- there's a lot of exciting stuff about this matchup. And I, uh, and he's a really strong dude. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. Jokic is a super. The uh, Balkan boys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a super slippery uh, post player. That's what makes him so hard to defend. But then at least you do have this big body who can at least try to bang with him a little bit. I mean, I would suspect. I mean, if, if I were the Blazers, which, yeah, this isn't a strategy thing, but if I was the Blazers, as stupid as it seems to try to double Jokic because he's going to see guys coming and he's so good at passing out of double teams, I think I would be willing to test uh, doubling off of Faku and some of the surrounding pieces just because of the injuries that they have. I'm certainly not going to double off of, off of Michael Porter Jr. And the Blazers don't have a ton of length to be doing it, but I would be trying my absolute best, even with Nurkic as a primary defender, to be making the rest of the Denver Nuggets beat me because I don't know. I'm I. I'm going to live with uh, Faku trying to shoot on catch and shoot threes more than allowing yeah. Nikola Jokic to just destroy me in the post, but be interested to see how they rotate out of that. Um, and then also if you're just like missing TJ McConnell's heart and hustle and, and stuff like, I think that Faku's probably the nearest facsimile to TJ McConnell. So he's like a go. little cannonball out on court. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. So I have, I do want to talk a little bit about two teams that I, uh, two, of the, two of the girls I had to send home early uh, before I could even do home. Were they days. not here for the right reasons? Uh, they were not here for the right reasons. Uh, I just did not see a future with them and it was very difficult. Um, so you mentioned the Utah jazz, but I want to talk about the Knicks first. Uh, I really, really wanted to go to the Knicks, and I know some of my friends at the Strickland and Posting and Toasting are going to be listening to this and ready to tear my my head off, and I understand it. I love this team. The Knicks have been one of my top five watches all year. Like you mentioned with the defense, it's been a joy. R.J. Barrett has been so fun to watch this year, Um, and Julius just turning into what he has as an offensive engine has been insane. I think I've been really frustrated with people who just look at the – the, the Knicks offensive numbers and say, well, Julius Randle can't be that good if their offense is that bad. And I'm like, but, but he has one movement shooter. There is one movement shooter on that team. And his name is Reggie Bullock and he's good, but like, they just, they're doing so much with so little and it's been, I mean, amazing. But like, to your point about doubling Jokic, when I look at what, like at the Hawks series, I almost wouldn't even double Julius because they don't script any. No, threes. I wouldn't double. Yeah. I wouldn't double Julius. Everything that they do, like, uh, so much of of what what the Knicks do is based off of any kind of gravity that that Julius creates because they like 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 I was saying they don't they don't script threes a lot of their threes come from Julius Randle gets doubled they swing the ball around and an open corner uh, corner three comes up so I'm really interested to see how that plays out for them I'm just like I like this Hawks team a lot I think they have a lot of talent um, again a reductive way of looking at it but I just think they have enough offensively. I mean, they have a ton offensively while having enough defensively to 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 really just cause the Knicks problems. I think unless Julius Randle just has like a Knicks, I mean, not Knicks, uh, like a Hakeem type run in a series, I just don't know how the Knicks create enough offense. So for me, I want to see a team that can go at least two rounds because it's just hard to, if there's no future, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it could be fun, but like, I, I just don't, I don't see a future with them for me at least not this year. So that's why I'm a little bit out on the Knicks, even though I could end up being wrong. And you know what, for whatever, I hope I'm wrong. I, I like this Knicks team. It'd be fun to see them advance, but I just, I don't personally see it. Um, and then with the Jazz, uh, this one's really tough for me, Caitlin. I think I watched, other than the Pacers, I think I watched more Jazz games than anything this year. Um, I love this Jazz team. I love watching them play. They play some of the prettiest basketball I've seen in a couple of years. Their ball movement is fun. I like a lot of their players, especially Donovan Mitchell. I'll always go to bat for Donovan Mitchell. Um, is he the best player on a championship team? I hate when people bring that up because he might be. He's not the best player, but like best driver of offense. I uh, it, it, we, we make all these categories that really don't mean shit and as far as I'm concerned. But um, I, this, <laughs> I get very torn on liking the team, but also just – I. The fan base is very difficult for me to deal with. Um, 
I I remember I posted a stat or not even a stat, just like a poll earlier this year because I wanted to see how people felt about defensive player of the year. And I listed it was uh, um, I had Miles, uh, Rudy, and I think Rudy's going to win defensive player of the year and should uh, and Ben Simmons. And the amount of quote tweets I got calling me an idiot for just having anybody not named Rudy Gobert. I was like, dude, I didn't even vote. I just put up the poll. It was like, and it's just stuff like that. I don't know. It's, it's not, I'm not saying the entire fan base is, is terrible or something, but they do have a tendency to be the loudest and sometimes the meanest on Twitter. So I, I don't know how I feel about the jazz uh, winning it all as much as I'd enjoy it from a team building standpoint and, and watching that team play. Um, I don't know. I, I, I personally, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that one. Yeah. The jazz caused me a small amount of pain and not because this player is going to be like, uh, you know, winning the jazz playoff games necessarily, but anytime I watch George Niang make a three for the Utah <laughs> jazz, it, it brings me a small amount of pain because obviously you weren't with us at Indy Cornrows at the time, but I think I wrote like 50 articles that year when George Niang was a rookie and I watched all of his games with the Mad Ants. And I was just like, you know, this guy has tremendous feel, really makes the right plays. And I felt like he could be an NBA player. Um, of all the Pacers that the that the team has assigned to the G League, I felt the best about him and Edmund Sumner. And their bench units back then, they were playing like combinations of like Kevin Serafin and Lavoy Allen and Al Jefferson and Lavoy Allen. And they were just getting absolutely murdered. Like their their net their aggregate bench net rating was terrible. And Nate McMillan would not try George and Yang. Like they desperately needed a stretch four in that position. And they at, had pivoted midseason from CJ Miles and, and needed CJ Miles to be playing more two guard for a lot of logical reasons because of stuff that was going on with Monte Ellis and Rodney Stuckey at the time when CJ Miles had been playing some backup four similar to what Justin Holiday does now. And it's like, hey, you might have another player on your roster who could theoretically do that, but they would not like try him at all like and the few times that they did I'm not going to say that his defense was great for the Pacers it, it wasn't like he had problems he's improved on that end somewhat now with the Jazz but I always felt like he could be an NBA player and now he is and like a part of my heart um, gets crushed every time I watch the Jazz play but um, one thing I really do like that the Jazz run is they run um, the, they had the Pacers seeing ghosts a couple times with this when they played that afternoon game in Utah but um, they'll set a little step up screen with Rudy Gobert it's, it's not super uh, complicated, which is interesting because a lot of their offense typically is very like tedious and can border on like being a hat on a hat at times. But uh, a lot of times teams don't see it coming because they flip the ball the other side of the floor. But they also run like 77 double drags, where so often the Pacers, when they're doing that, are doing it because they need to space both of their bigs high up the floor. So it's pretty much always like Sabonis, if, if Sabonis and Turner are on the floor at the same time, both of them are going to be the screeners. But with the Jazz, they'll use like Rudy and, and Bogdanovich. And then instead of just running the double drag and, and dribbling off of it, like Gobert will then flip around and set a pin down for Bogey to then attack out of that. Like, if, especially if it's Joe Ingles, he'll put the ball on the floor and, and sometimes make a pass for somebody else. So that little like extra wrinkle is, is something that I find appealing if the Pacers end up only keeping one big going into next year. But um, I, I'm interested to see because a lot of times like we talk about like with the Jazz that uh, like a lot of people think about like Rudy getting played off the floor. Against, yeah, and he never has. I against oh a team God. that like, you know, it has a pull up shooter or whatever. And I don't really think it was so much because of that as it is that their offense in the past had uh, had stagnated because they struggled to attack switches in series like against Houston because Rudy doesn't really have much of a post game. So I think more of that lend itself to the offensive end of the floor necessarily than the defensive end. But, um, and a lot of it like devolves into Donovan Mitchell ISOs, which isn't terrible. Cause I mean, obviously he was killer in that first round series against Denver in the bubble, but um, because they do all this other stuff offensively, you'd like to see them be able to keep um, some of that going. And I'm interested to see if they can, or if it becomes more of an ISO game, but. Um, I think some of that with Rudy on the defensive end, like if you're constantly isolating him, like he's improved. Like I think that mm -hmm. most of the numbers show that he can defend better in isolation, despite that like highlight that went around of who was it, Devin Booker that absolutely like turned him inside out. I don't know who it was. If it was Devin Booker or Chris Paul, it was one or the other, but um, I won't say it's a complete fabrication. 
I think that some of that is warranted, but I, I think a lot of the times some of the stuff that's happened for the jazz has been more on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I, I think that they're going to have matchup problems with several of the teams in the Western Conference personally. Just be like, they, who who are their wings on their roster other than Royce O'Neal that's going to guard the Clippers? Yeah, who, Who's exactly. guarding LeBron James? Like, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of, of full faith and trust there, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. That's why we like watching the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel similarly. Like it's, uh, I, I, it feels to me like Bojan is almost their most, uh, not important, but like he's kind of the swing guy in the playoffs for me because he had when he had a lot of problems this year. He he did not have a good defensive season. Um, and to I mean, in all fairness, even in, in Indiana, he wasn't as good of a defender as I think he got painted in some regards. Like he had a nice series against LeBron, but uh, those were some cherry picked plays in some regards. Uh, but. Yeah, well, I, I, th- I would say on that that like a lot of that with Boyan wasn't so much that he was like an elite individual defender. I would say that his footwork did get heavily mm-hmm. refined from going to the Wizards to the Pacers, but it was about because he was taking the opposite or the the top wing option that all that you could do for Vit with Victor because of that. Yeah. Like I think that that's what kind of gets lost sometimes in that conversation. That like if he's guarding you know Demar Derozan, then Victor can roam off another option and everything that you were getting in the gaps because he was playing so heavily. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. And I just think um, his he's had a, like a really up and down offensive season too. Um, so I mean, whatever he does, I think is going to be so important for them because he can really destroy a matchup with what he can do offensively at the four but also if he struggles a lot defensively at the four as well that that causes some problems like you're mentioning because they just don't have a lot of of uh like they have a lot of good team defenders but they just don't have a lot of guys who inspire me defensively in individual defense like Royce O'Neal is good but like he's a guy like if Royce O'Neal was six seven or six eight instead of six five, I would I would feel a lot more comfortable about that. But he just isn't quite big enough to consistently bother somebody like LeBron or Kawhi or PG. And so, the, yeah, I agree. Like they they, uh, they might get lucky with the way matchups play out, and I hope they do because I'd like to see the team win. Can I split my final rows? I kind of want to split my final rows between Phoenix and Utah. I know that's cheating, but like it's uh, I, I'm cheating. I don't care. I'm splitting my final You're rows between Phoenix to two and Utah. people. I. Do they? I mean, they don't both have to know about it. Uh, I mean, whichever one gets to the finals is who can have the rows for me. I uh, I really like. I don't know. It's for me. This this is just how I feel. Even with like Memphis being in, I want new teams in. I want to see new teams play well, and like I don't want to see the same stuff over and over again. I don't care about TV ratings. Like I care about watching good basketball, and I think that's what it should be about, regardless of how we're coming at it for if you're NBA or media or whatever, just, just good basketball is good. There's something enjoyable and good about every team. You just have to find it. Um, so yes, I will split my final rows as egregious as that is. I, I'm, I'm saying it. Yeah. One other little thing that could be interesting for the nuggets when you were saying that about Royce O'Neal and size is that, you know, without PJ Dozier, they don't have like, and this is why I'm interested to see how they're going to defend Lillard and, and McCollum. You know, Faku doesn't have a lot of size, clearly. He's feisty, but he, he gives up length, and, and they don't have a lot of bodies they can throw up there. So I'd be interested to see if they if they run any possessions with Aaron Gordon up on those those top two guards because he's spent a decent amount of time defending point guards this year. Yeah. So that that would be a fun little wrinkle to, to look at. And, you know, obviously you don't really want Michael Porter Jr. Jr. doing it, but in the reverse, the, the Blazers don't have a lot of guys to really – defend him either because i mean robert covington is a good defender but it's more so his off ball ability than it is and like shutting down somebody like michael porter so how many i think that the key to defending michael porter jr for the blazers is running him through tons of screens on the other end of the floor like trying to get him in situations there where you're running his energy stores down to be able to be a top option at the other end and, and really making him defend at the other end so just another thing that I will enjoy watching in, in, in the Nuggets uh, first rounder, which I'm, I'm with you. I don't know who I, I would necessarily pick in that series, but I just enjoy, really enjoy watching the Nuggets and think some of that can be informative for the Pacers as well. So they receive my final rose. Perfect. I, uh, I, I'm still remaining split on mine. Did you have, do you have anything else you want to add? Was there anybody that you, you struggled to leave off or, uh, or where are you at with, uh, with those who did not make the hometown dates? 
Well, yeah. I mean, on the Knicks standpoint, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't know where to look at for that series. I, I couldn't pick. I had a lot of people telling me that I should pick the Hawks, and I just needed a moratorium from coaches named Nate. Like, <laughs> yes. I, I needed to not watch any of that for a bit. Um, I kind of – the one thing that I would give – and obviously Nate McMillan's been really good this year and, and is good at – coaching defense but I just feel like Tom Thibodeau is going to figure out as that series progresses ways to defend Trey Young like Trey Young is brilliant he has great eye manipulation when he's running double drags but I just think that if there's a coach that's probably going to be able to scheme for that it's probably Tom Thibodeau and what I said earlier about Julius Randle and the double teams like went back to Jokic like this is not a knock on Julius Randle at all he's been super fun to watch all season like it's, it's just like amazing to me that his shooting has progressed to the extent that like I watched the Knicks play the Raptors and the Raptors were hard doubling him at outside the three-point line. Um, the one game that the Pacers played the Knicks, Julius Randle, it was, it was the home game that the Pacers played against them at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And like, if you look at the matchup splits, like Sabonis defended him fine in the post. Like, I don't know why they felt like they needed to keep doubling that, but the Pacers were bad rotating out of double teams pretty much the entire year. And then the Knicks hit those shots. And, you know, it's one thing if you're leaving Alfred Payton open, it's another thing when you're leaving Reggie Bullock open or RJ Barrett in the corners, who's really shot well from those particular spots. So I don't know. I can't say that I wouldn't necessarily pick the Knicks to win that series. I'm going to have to see how the first couple games go, which is a total cop out, but yes, shout out to the Strickland who does great coverage. And I, I wanted to pick the Knicks. It was just, I ended up going with these three teams because I was trying to go with a Pacers theme, but the, the vibes have been tremendous coming out, out of Knicks games, which I'm sure nobody from the Pacers wants to hear, but like that fandom is obviously super pumped about being back in the playoffs and, and they just have like a lot of, this is like a really cliche phrase, but they just have a lot of dog in them. Like that team, yeah. that team plays hard. Like they fight. And, and I think sometimes that, I mean, that was kind of my argument with naming Millen at times. I think that that has somewhat of a limited ceiling. I don't know that you always have an extra gear to get to when, when that's kind of your calling card, but um, I can see Tom Thibodeau making some adjustments defensively as that series goes on. It's just a question of whether they'll have enough offense, but um yeah yeah i agree imagine imagine making adjustments defensively couldn't be me um yeah i mean not me either i mean i'd prefer to do exactly what i did against the wizards the prior two games well i guess not exactly because we didn't have to watch all the triangle and two and box and one but like just to circle this back to the pacers like i think that all of that played a part in what their base defense ended up being because they did so many things all season long that they never had a base to really rely and lean Mm -hmm. into that you know we know our roles and responsibilities within this because they tried to be great at everything and ended up you know being then not then not even much yeah and and then not even making the like non-revolutionary adjustment to to duck under picks, which I'm sure people are going to be like, well, John Morant hit all those shots against the Warriors. Well, those are two very different things. For one, um, the Warriors' defensive scheme and the types of defenders that the Warriors have are quite different than the Pacers. And two, even if Russell Westbrook had hit five threes against the Pacers, I'd be like, you know, tip my hat to you and and you won the game, but we tried to take away your ability to penetrate into the paint because that's what killed us every game. But, you know, there we go. Alas. Shout out, shout out Memphis. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm excited for them to play. I, I really enjoy their team. They have like probably the deepest team in the NBA, but not quite the top end talent. And, and let's not pretend yet, that watching John Morant try to hop around Rudy Gobert and vice versa isn't going to be entertaining to watch. Like oh, that is going, going to be, be entertaining to watch. Even if it isn't a long series, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Uh they I think they other than the Pacers. I have to look it up really quick. I think the Grizzlies are right up there in terms of uh, at rim frequency. Uh, I just yeah, they imagine they're, they're Rudy Gobert wagging his finger at every single floater that comes within uh, within the restricted area. I don't think that is a. It's going to be a very. Uh, let's just say it's going to be a, a, a learning curve for uh, for the Grizzlies early on. I have no doubt, but I'm excited. It's cool to watch young teams in the playoffs. Uh, Caitlin, this was a, this was a great time. It was good to talk about uh, some positive basketball. Um, I'm I'm really excited for that. Uh, the playoffs are here. I always love the playoffs. Uh, a because we don't have to watch 
I mean, like, I don't know how you are, but I get like really anxious if there's like 10 games in one night because I just don't, I don't like missing stuff. I love watching basketball sometimes too much with the playoffs. I know when the games are going to start. I know when I can watch them. And you know what, if I have to, I can watch one or two games the next morning. It'll be fine. Uh, I'm ready for it. How about you? I, I'm excited. Like I'm pumped. I'm not have a nice little break from the Pacers for a little bit and, and, um, cheat on them a little bit with these other teams that I've now handed out roses to. So I'm excited. Perfect. To everyone listening, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you're doing well and enjoying your day. Uh, we're going to have some great stuff coming out in the coming weeks. I have no doubt. Uh, some more draft profiles on my end is, is that that comes around. Um, yeah, we have, a, we have a lot to look forward to and also a, just good, good to take a little break and just enjoy the playoffs. Thanks again for coming on, Caitlin. To everyone listening, thank you and have a good rest of your day.